Hi Dunklings and welcome back to another installment of the Fine Feathered and Fouled. This time we're going to be talking about the Fouled game which was brought to us by Jake, one of our lovely podcast people who are joining us. Uh, if you haven't checked out our previous episode where we talked about Breath of the Wild as our Fine Feathered game, be sure to check that out. Or if you have no idea who we are or why you should be listening to us, check out our introduction podcast which uh should be up prior to this as well uh but in case you haven't and you just want to stick around and listen to us talk about this game let's briefly introduce ourselves uh i am amanda and i work as the lead developer at evil quacks it's my night job and as my day job i do vr work and database work jake do you want to tell us about yourself yeah i'm uh jake i am a drexel game design student I work on narrative sim, so games similar to Gone Home, What Remains of Edith Finch, Life is Strange, you know, all them story stuff. I am a perpetual hater of Nintendo, and <laughs> I really kind of like this game that we're going to talk about. That's about it. Uh, and then Mazio is also joining us. Hi, everybody. I'm Mazio. Uh, I'm my day job is a teacher. I'm Moonlight is an adjunct professor. Uh, I've taught at a bunch of universities in and around Philadelphia, including Drexel, which is where I met these fine people. And I'm kind of the, I guess, lead designer and CEO of Fatal Games, which is a board game company uh, that is currently in a holding pattern because we're recording during the coronavirus quarantine. Yes, and still week three-ish of the quarantine, so for a little insane, it's, it's because, because of that. Of that. <laughs> but the short answer is, uh, uh, I love tabletop and I love video games. I'm a video game scholar and I build on the tabletop. Yes. And today we're going to be talking about a game that Jake brought to us, uh, which I actually have never heard of before Jake even mentioned it. So Jake, tell us about the game. Yeah, so the game we're going to be talking about today is called Deliver Us the Moon from, I believe it's pronounced Kaoken Interactive. Um, It's a sort of sci-fi thriller game, and it got sort of mixed reviews on launch for an interesting reason that we're going to get into later. But first, let's sort of just do a background of the game um so from a gameplay perspective if i could ask you guys i'll jump in as well but what did you think of it oh boy oh no so (laughs) story-wise i think it's one of the most compelling narrative sims story-wise that i've ever played like i i have no real complaints with how the story was constructed uh how it interacts with the gameplay i have major issues with um, yeah, I. But I, I, I just want to say real quick in plot summary, the concept of the concept of the game is uh, we've harvested most diverse resources, or humanity has harvested most diverse resources, and we're dependent on an energy source that's being transmitted down from the moon. That source goes dark, and your job is to fix that. That is the core value of the game, and then the plot revolves around that, and the plot itself is really, really well done, like, in terms of uh, overall compelling plots in narrative sims. One thing I do want to mention before we dive into it, there was a bit of controversy with this game um, in sort of an early access uh, pre-release stage where there was a lack of an ending. That is not what we're going to be talking about today. I played this game on full release in October of 2019, so I experienced the entire story, and so did you guys just to sort of put that in the rear view because there was a bit of an upheaval but that's not necessarily what we're addressing i think that kind of has to be laid out since it was a big issue that this had early on yeah i almost feel like in agreement with what mazzy is talking about i enjoyed the story but i'm not sure that it was handled well in a game media i almost wanted it to be a graphic novel uh where I wasn't asked to do tedious, repetitive tasks. Listen, Moon or... Janitor, fix the monorail. Yeah, like... It's almost like they wanted to give you mindless tasks to do while constantly overlaying the story itself as radio chatter or what have you. But while they were reading the story to you, they needed you to do things so that they could call it a game. Is kind of how I felt in general, but... um. Jake, uh, what did you feel, I guess, about the gameplay yeah. since? Is it different from how we're feeling? Or? Um, a little bit. So I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying. And I think on the spectrum of this sort of walking sim 
narrative sim, depending on who you're trying not to offend, game, sort of genre, subgenre, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't necessarily feel that it achieved the highest level of success. Um, there are certain games that handle the interaction between the narrative and the player much better. I would look to mm-hmm. uh, What Remains of Edith Finch is my shiny example of the best way of handling that ever. But I wasn't as put off by it, I think, because of my experience in the genre. I sort of knew what I was getting myself into. And right. I noticed myself while I was playing it, relating it to other things. Like when I was collecting uh, video journals, I was like, oh, this is just like Tacoma, uh, a game by Fulbright, the makers of Gone Home. Like the way that they handled the sort of AR type logs scattered around the station. It reminded me of that. And it, I think I gave it a bit of uh, leeway that I otherwise wouldn't have because of its relation to other media that I already knew. But gotcha. yeah, the gameplay was definitely some of the weakest part. It felt kind of like if you took a sci-fi thriller movie and did your very best auto-translate to make that a video game, which I didn't necessarily mind. I thought it was really interesting, but that it kind of felt like it wanted to be a different media in a certain way. Yeah. But that's, that's sort of where I was at. Um, we sort of talked about the design. I think the story was really, really well handled, like you had mentioned before, Mazio. Um, it felt complete with the ending, which I know is something that is required to make it a story by Aristotle and yeah. poetics. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah, but in in the walking sim genre, that's not always the case. Um, there's a really good one called uh, very short. It's called Answer Not. I remember, I know I mentioned it in a previous one of the previous podcasts, but it uh, it's a very short little weird narrative, and then. I feel they always sort of, they lack that tie-off at the end. The ending in Deliver Us the Moon is satisfying in the way that a movie ends, where I feel like I want to talk about it with my friends, or I feel like I can get up and walk out of a theater satisfied. Like, I remember playing the game, getting to the end, and I got up and walked out of my chair, and not like, what do I do now? Should I, like, replay this section, or should I look up a review? I just felt sort of content with the resolution which I think is a rare success for this game that a lot of other narrative sims don't necessarily get or have difficulty with. I don't know. That's that's kind of my take on the story. I felt that um, it was a little clunky at times, but in the end, yeah, that, that sort of point of resolution really brought it home for me. What about you guys? So my major... Um issue with the narrative is not the plot it's the actual presentation where they give us sarah who's the last engineer on the moon um and you before you and she has a trail of breadcrumbs that you think you're going to follow and you're going to get all this exposition as you go around the moon and you don't you just sort of walk around drive around and ride around in silence and then there's these like moments of like oh by the way sarah was here and i'm like Man, a voice recording log would have gone a long way towards moving this forward, and you could have done a lot more exposition with it. Like, it's very, very heavy on the concept that the audience is going to infer and understand a great deal about the narrative um, because they're going to put in the work to connect the dots, which is fun most of the time, but left us shallow in certain instances where, like, I never really understood um, the moon had a lunar colony on it. I never understood the general hierarchy of the of the moon, other than like there was a lunar council that ruled everything and then everybody else. And I feel like commentary on that as it would have unraveled would have gone a long way to improving my emotional connection to the characters that weren't there. And the mm-hmm. other thing in that exact same vein is you're on this mission and it's kind of like you and a group of rogue rocket scientists, which is awesome, right? Like, group of rogue nerd rocket scientists going to save Earth. Right. Yeah. Right. Great idea. Um, and then you kind of don't talk to them at all throughout the course of the game, except for like once or twice sporadically or three or four times sporadically over like a four-hour run. And I'm like, that feels so wasted, like... 
I should be getting reports from them. They should be, you know, I should be able to give dialogue back to them, perhaps. Like, th th those are the things that were my criticism of the implementation of the narrative. Um, overall, though, like, if you were, like, Rescue Mission of the Moon game 2, I'd be like, yeah, like, this is a really cool world you've built. Yeah. yeah. I, th I did feel it leaning on those tropes. It kind of reminds me of the original Fear games, where... I don't know if it was just because they couldn't do that much voice recording or maybe, you know, technical constraints, but you would always just get cut off in the middle of your dialogue. Like there could never be your companion with you for more than a minute. And you know, if a conversation lasts more than like 45 seconds, that something's going to happen. Oh, radio transmissions out again. We're on the dark side of the moon. Alma has terrorized me and I can't talk to anyone like sort of those gamey ways of separating you from your companion and putting you on your own to try to make the situation more thrilling than it necessarily is. Mm. Yeah, I definitely I definitely felt it leaning on those tropes every once in a while. But um I think I think that's kind of a good summary of our our experiences with it. If the question that I kind of wanted to move into sort of relies on a bit of the early reasons why it got somewhat mixed reviews. So if you go on Steam, well, like I did when I first played the game, and you check out the reviews back from October of 2019 when it hit full release with the ending, uh, a lot of the reviews mentioned pricing. The game was priced at, I think it was $25 at the time, which feels, or was it, it was 30 feels a little steep for the three-ish hour experience that you get. Yeah, twenty four ninety nine. Um, what in a world where you have games that you can play for hundreds, thousands of hours, completely for free, not counting skins, different conversation? How does an indie game company that wants to make this sort of double A type story survive if twenty five seems too steep? So. I feel like we have to let me clarify something real quick. So this is our this is our fouled game. So Jake, you're arguing that it did not deserve the initial hard hitting reviews that it got because they were solely centered around price. So while there was some flaws in the gameplay that we just discussed, uh, it's wrong to bomb it simply for its price. Yes. Yeah. Essentially, uh, I think the the point I'm trying to make is it has issues. It's not necessarily the best game in the world, but in the terms of Steam, where it has settled now in the very positive category is not where it started. It started mixed, primarily due to concerns about the pricing. Right. So, and whenever we look at games like this, I think we almost have to adopt a different lens because it's an indie game than a AAA game. I think AAA games are held to... A different set of standards than indie games are uh, simply because the larger team money going into it time they had to do it uh, however uh, with that in mind both AAA and indie games can be evaluated on scope etc uh, but I just wanted to clarify that so that when we look at this we realize that $30 is half the price of a AAA game right do you feel like you got half of the experience out of it, I guess. It's not really a great way to quantify it, but like... I mean, I think that you have to kind of view it... I, I view this a little differently because I kind of always compare it to going to the movies, right? A movie mm -hmm. ticket's right. 14 or $15 at this point, where I am. And right. you, you kind of have to look at it as like video games, especially certain types of video games, have ridiculous value in them in an hour per dollar basis. Yes. So it's not really fair, especially if you wait and they're like on sale for 20 or $25. They have 100 or 200 hours and I'm like, that's insane. Um, I think the question is, is it, an, is it an emotionally satisfying experience, right? Does it, does it deliver yeah. an overall emotionally satisfying experience? Um, and story-wise yes but gameplay wise it falls very flat and i actually had to limp through the last like i think 45 minutes on a playthrough 
Because I was listening to that. Amanda was on Discord with me while this nightmare <laughs> unfolded. Um, so I honestly felt like I was the janitor through like a huge port, like fix the monorail, and I'm like, okay, like I'm fixing the monorail and I'm finding combinations to doors, but none of this feels related to what's going on in the plot, and I don't know why we're not relating it to the plot, right? Yeah. Like, the, we should be tying things in and picking up loose ends, and it, it's kind of odd that we don't ever really do that, right? Like, like if this person got from point A to point B five years before we did, right? And it turns out that, like, we could have known that potentially at the end in a certain respect. Um, mm -hmm. And we knew the layout of this, and we had the schematics for it, and, 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 and we're an engineer. How on earth is it that, like, we have to, like, wiggle our way across rocks to do this? Right? Um, and I got to the jumping section. The jumping section is what thwarted me, where you have to make the really long jump. And I made it once, and it didn't autosave it, and I didn't know that. Yep. Oh, no. And then I... Gave it three shots on on try two and was like, well, I'm just done. Because this isn't a platformer. Right. You're throw you didn't sign up to play a platformer. And that's you're suddenly in one at that point. You're, and, and like minigaming is part of the narrative sim genre. But usually the minigames are extremely plot and experience relevant. Like Edith Finch and the bathtub sequence. Right? Yeah. Or the, the eating thing sequence. Um, and they're related to that narrative experience so tightly that you you come at it from this perspective of like, well, obviously this all makes sense, and if the controls aren't perfect, it's a mini game, and I'll and I'll forgive it because I'm getting so much emotional reaction out of it. Whereas this, it was like, okay, go find the combination. I'm like, why is a door locked? Like, how did I not come here with a master override key? I work for the organization that built this place. Right. Um, and I think that that is like a telltale narrative breakdown in both uh, cinema and, and games where when your mind starts to reach for places like that where the story feels inorganic or rather the tasks feel inorganic to the story that's where you have an inherent synergistic breakdown as a medium and that's where I think the value proposition spirals right because the value proposition isn't a question of time versus money. That's where I came at it with a movie ticket. It's a mm -hmm. question of satisfaction versus money, right? Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, movie tickets would cost more or less based on how long a movie was. And all movies right. would be 10 hours long, so we could charge you a stupid amount of money. Correct. Um, but, or, and books would charge by the page, like they did back in Dickens' day, where they charged by the word. But... Or rather, they were paid by the word. But here we're talking about a what's dissatisfying in a narrative that is satisfying is the part where I fix the monorail twice for mm. for no for no reason. And they're stumbling block problems, right? Like they are hard line. Just this is just a stumbling block issue. And I can totally see how people felt that way. Do I think it's fair to say the game charges too much when it's this deeper issue? No, I think that's a lack of reflection on you as a gamer. I think that, to go off of what Mazio said, is that they had this great story played out, and narrative sims were popular. So let's try and fit this story into a game. And it hit points in the story where they realized... They didn't have organic tasks to give the player that fit in the story, but since they made it a game, they had to give the player something to do. And that's where it started to feel weird. Uh, I think that it definitely deserves criticism for that. Do I think it deserves insanely harsh criticism for it as an indie studio? No, not necessarily. I think... I think the story was still interesting and fun to listen to. Fun, quote-unquote. Or sad, I should say satisfying, because it wasn't really a fun story. Um, but I don't think it needed to be a game. And it felt like it was forced into being a game. 
And that's where I had issues with it. Uh, I don't know how much price plays into it. I feel like $20 is worth it for the game. The game looks really pretty. You get a nice story out of it. Um, and it's not an insane price. You know? I, I want you to know I take issue with your statement, though. That's fine. Um, which part? <laughs> the, uh, I thought you were going to finish up and then we were going to go. But, uh, so I, I think there's an inherent fallacy in the idea that you can be like, well, it should have been a different genre. And no, my thing is that I think it was they wrote the story and then they shoved it into a game. But what I'm, what I'm saying is is that like that that's a weird that's a I mean it's a weird commentary because if I distilled all the components of this down to actual clip time, what is it like twenty five minutes long? Uh, a gameplay without commentary is about three hours. No, I meant the actual, like, the cutscenes and the explanations and everything else. Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably in that range. Right, and I I think that that's kind of where where the game game aspect of it does come in, where it's like, I did want to do the repairs. Like, when I'm targeting the different things to connect the power grids, or I'm running through those checklists, that's fine, or I'm working my way through a defunct space station, those are all really fun moments. Um, that would actually be narratologically boring, potentially, to watch or read about, right? Because narrative-wise, you would want to go inside that character's head and have a ton of internal dialogue. Like, it'd be a lot of walking around it or floating around, technically, in feels. So, I think my argument is that they added those because they needed to give the player something to do. But I feel like I didn't, I didn't need it. You could have just given me the re- dive more into the recordings. You could even me the general story, uh, and I would have been fine with it. And I think I would have had the same satisfaction at the end. So I have a question. So if it's a lack of satisfaction that is instead being expressed as a frustration with pricing, do you think? How do you think they could have mitigated that situation? Do you think that they should have pivoted in medium? If they wanted to tell this story, like, let's assume if we can, and maybe we can argue this point, that the story is the fundamental part of this game. And it's not the gameplay, because the gameplay seems very varied and divisive. Do you think that this medium was inappropriate to tell the story in? Or do you think they should have altered it? And do you think that would have been better received? I think... If when you... I say sorry, when I say mediums, I don't mean video games. I mean this genre of video games with this intended length and time. There are narrative sims that take twenty minutes to play that this might right. have fit better into. I think that would have worked real well, actually. I think my thing is that there it felt like a lot of fluff is what I'm getting at, and that like I didn't need it. Like, great, Mazio enjoyed doing those parts, but I was like, kind of want to know what's happening, but I guess I'll just float around in silence for a bit. But, I mean, even if it was a graphic novel, you would have had that float through the outer space station. Yeah, but it would have been two panels. It would have been two panels of beautiful scenery for me to look at in awe before getting back to the recordings. It wouldn't have been me roaming around for X amount of minutes, feeling like I wasted my time. Or there would have been internal dialogue going on. Yeah, or internal dialogue or something. So, I think that's the other question, because I agree with Jake's supposition that had they trimmed the length down... And correspondingly, not had to charge as much because they didn't have to build as much. The game would have been stronger, right? Yes, I think I can. I can agree with you on that. But I also think that had they done the reverse and done what you said, where we had more straight narrative interaction with the player that really didn't maybe have anything to do with gameplay and what you were doing on screen, but built the narrative in your head a little bit stronger and a little bit harder. The game wouldn't have received, uh, would have been stronger as well, and both times that backlash would have been averted. Right? And so there's multiple yes. ways but they could have taken it. I'm going to defend them here because functionally, I think what they were trying to do, and obviously we're going to argue on the success of that real hard in a second, um, was remove those elements from any kind of heavy handed narrative aspect and force the player into that state of reflection, right? Like, 
you're alone mm-hmm. on the moon. It's dark. There's a reason it's dark. Is there's a sandstorm on Earth. We're out of communication. You want la- you race to launch against the sandstorm. There's actually a clock in the beginning of the game that does that. So I'm ruining everything. If you haven't played this, um, I think it should be assumed that these are spoiler laden. <laughs> <Spoiler. laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not even gonna say spoiler alert. I'm gonna say spoiler guaranteed. Yeah. Um. Right. And you know why they're not talking to you for a little bit, but you also know the sandstorm should have cleared up by now. Because it takes it's it's not instantaneous that you got to the moon, right? Um mm-hmm. I, I think there's there's that kind of we want it to be implicitly difficult for you as a player without having to be like, hey, this was actually very difficult to do because science and stuff. Right. Um, and I think that this is where, if you look at uh, The Martian by Andy Weir, that made, mm. they made a Matt Damon movie out of that's actually pretty solid. Um, actually, it's very solid. I enjoy the movie as well as the book. I like the book more, but not because I'm that guy, just because in this case, I think the book is stronger. Um, they go into those aspects, and you see, um, you see a guy learn science and start to explain, like, not learn, but you see that scientific knowledge flex and Mm -hmm. those walkthroughs and i think too even if we had had just that where it's like yeah and now i have to go down here and if if the layout's correct this is what's going on and if the layout's not correct well then i need to tell you the layout's not correct right it's very Mm -hmm. unnatural and this is where this this idea falls off right the idea is that you're going to sit at your computer and you're going to be alone in the vacuum of space with no sound and minimal things that you can do and You've got to do this from an organic, story-driven standpoint. In reality, because I'm not actually in the vacuum of space, my brain just wanders off. Right. Right. Like my brain gets distracted by my pets, or my ba- I get hungry, or you know, or bored, hungry, or whatever. Um, and I think that that is that was an honest attempt. It was an artistic attempt in a genre that does generally reward artistry to mm-hmm. force to force the experience of the character into the mindset of the player. And it's just that video know. games give you a high resistance to that. So maybe in that sense this is more of a a fine feather than a foul because we we think about it. We're looking at a game with very positive 87% overall positive reviews that on paper should be an excellent narrative sim, but there are serious drawbacks. I could never recommend this game in good conscience to anyone. Interesting. Maybe. Um, Without extensive warnings. While Mazio was talking, though, I thought of um, Gravity, the movie, where they didn't just have you sit in silence in space for hours, Sandra right? Sandra Bullock and George Clooney, yeah. Yeah. Um, because that would have been a poor narrative decision for at least a movie. Granted, different medias, right? Um, and then I realized I've played another, I guess, kind of walking sim that I think handles it better called Valley. Where, Jake, have you played Valley at all? I haven't. Valley is kind of the same thing where you're exploring through this isolated area that you found that used to be a hub for, I think, military experiments. Uh, And your goal is to uncover the story behind it. And you do it through picking up recordings, journal entries, etc., etc. And you start to realize what happened to this area, what was unearthed here, all that jazz through it. Uh, The only difference with that game is that there is a constant threat of this other, like, why did they disappear? What happened? And that threat is reinforced throughout the game to keep you on your toes and aware. Um, that something's not right here. Uh, and that, I think, keeps me more engaged. Uh, even if there's not constant sound effects or constant things to do and I am walking around, I am constantly alert for whatever killed off these people or whatever happened is still out there. And I am alone. And granted, I have this cool jumpy suit to like do nice platforming things with uh, and navigate this destroyed space. Um, I am practically defenseless and that intensity keeps me more engaged than the silence of space while i do mindless tasks 
Um, we kind of already touched on it, but I was going to sort of probe you guys on if if this game should have been a different medium, if it should have been a shorter experience, or if the unnecessary challenges with the platforming and the puzzle solving detracted from the narrative, do we think that stories like this should just be, for lack of a better term, movie games? And when I say that, I'm talking about games like Detroit Become Human. Um, Erica is a really good example of an actually live-action movie game where you're making uh, split-second decisions and altering the course of a, a literal movie that you're watching. Uh, the Late Shift, I think, is from the same developers, does a similar thing, where you're not burdened by the interaction as much. Because if the story is the point, I guess why why force me to cut through doors? Can I can I jump in on this? Because I actually had yeah, I ha- um, that's a question. I, I had this as so a slightly ahead. varied talking point, but uh, it's very applicable here. So I have an MFA in fiction, and part of an MFA in fiction is you sitting down, and there's a moment where, in the program, it's very likely a professor will look at you and go, "How many of you are writing about cancer or other long-term illnesses?" And there's a good statistical probability that like one in two or one in three people is writing about it, right? And the reason behind that is because it feels artsy, right? And mm-hmm. if this was made into a novel, it would be a lit thick novel where it's like we're trying to achieve high art through brute force. And if it was a movie, it would be an art house movie where we're trying to achieve high art through brute force. And in point of fact, they kind of did a movie where a human being was alone on the moon called Moon with Sam Rockwell um, yeah. that actually achieves some degree of success for this, but is again in the same category of if I were to recommend it, I'd have to be very, very cautious about it. And this kind of brings up the overall nature of artistic intent in my mind wherein I really, really wish there was some, and maybe there is and I didn't see it in my cursory Googling, explanation from the devs where they're like, we are trying to make a popular game. We are trying to make an art house game, right? And I think that would make it a little easier to define the fouled or feathered nature of the situation. Mm-hmm. Because if your goal was to make an art house game, buddy, you, you made an art house game. Like... This is yeah. this is a really graphically very satisfying, well programmed. The gravity is really great, right? Oh, the gravity sim, yeah. Yeah, the gravity is wonderful. The driving feels realistic relative to the gravity, and then yeah. you have these like fiddly art house mechanic moments where I want to punch you in the face. And I've never seen an art house movie without a moment of me going rage, rage, rage. <laughs> Uh, sorry, rabbits. I scared my pets there when I said that last part. Um, but uh, how do we feel about that artistic intent, if I can answer the question with a question? Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is the disconnect between you and I and myself and the both of you is I always go into these games with that art house mindset. And that might just be my personal preference. But when I when I sort of discovered this genre for myself like through games like to the moon and gone home early on in my gaming experience i think i got accustomed to that and i think maybe i learned to overlook a lot of those weird flaws whereas i know it's and this is not an unpopular opinion i have other friends that i've recommended these games to and they also don't necessarily always receive them positively or they'll get frustrated and quit out of the part that i don't necessarily see as frustrating but I think maybe with the demographic that you're targeting when you make this sort of walking sim, narrative sim type game, it's almost assumed that it's going to be like an art house weirdo type game. Maybe that's not necessarily something you can do when you're marketing online to such a broad audience as Steam, but I think that's kind of part of it. It sets expectations. Indie games a few years ago, and I, for the record, I've completely lost track of if I should say a few years ago or like a decade ago at this point. But like, um, 
indie games, I think, used to stand for that. I think whenever you picked up an indie game, you played something that was are more artistic than the AAA games. An earnest attempt unique. at art. Yes, an earnest attempt at art. And I think that has kind of shifted a little bit uh, with the markets, where that's not necessarily what's expected of them anymore from the general public. And I think it's just because they've been brought in, brought in, brought, brought more elevated. into the spotlight. Thank you. Elevated more into the spotlight. Uh, so people expect something different from them. Whereas before they were a niche, small thing that people gravitated toward if they wanted that earnest attempted at art. And now that they're being promoted to the whole community, they have to almost shift away from that. And I think they have in a way. I want to I want to tie those two points together real quick if that's all right with you. Yeah, no, I'm very bad with words, so Yeah. So <laughs> go for it. Jake said the word flaws. And I'm not I'm not going to say I'm going to correct you, but I'm totally going to correct you on this. And Amanda brought <laughs> up the concept of audience, right? So Yes. Immediately to my left is a YA novel recommended to me by a friend, and as a rule of thumb, I do not enjoy YA novels. It's not personal. One of my best friends writes them. I love her books. I love her. And some YA novels are amazing, and some of them are terrible, just like anything else. But within the confines of a YA novel, or a lit fic novel, to go back to my earlier point, or an art house Young film, adult, by the way. Oh, yeah. Gosh, I didn't even think... That, yeah. <laughs> Young adult <laughs> novel, sorry. Or a graphic Thank novel... What would be a trope or an acceptable practice or a lauded practice within the confines of each of those uh, subgenres could be considered a flaw by somebody from outside that realm viewing it with the lens of, say, general adult fiction or general adult science fiction. General video gaming could see a lot of narrative sim art attempts as flaws, whereas somebody from that era of indie gaming or narrative game or narrative sim sims in general could look at a AAA game and go, there are tons of flaws here and this is garbage, right? And that's where the intent to audience really determines, I think, the success of this game. And it is, in my opinion, the the price differential, if you were coming at this with a from the perspective of you, Jake, I think twenty five dollars was probably on the cheap side for it. Right? If this is an yeah, high art definitely. attempt, narrative sim, graphics dressed to the nines, good artistic attempts at the graphics, by the way, if you've not played it or you've not watched a playthrough of it. It does look very pretty. It's very pretty, but it's mm -hmm. not just very pretty. They did interesting visual art decisions where they have holographic playbacks of things where they could have gone photorealism and didn't, which would have matched oh, the rest yeah. of the game. They have, you play, a, you have a droid companion through part of the game, like a robot companion. I guess it's not technically a droid. Sorry, LucasArts. Uh, you have a robot companion through part of the game. And the perspective of the robot, the visual perspective of the robot is completely different than that of the human, right? Yeah. And in terms of a AAA game, those are like nice to have slash don't cares. In terms of an art game, like a, an attempt at high art, those are critical mission things that were very successful. Right? Yeah. So I'm actually going to say, like, yeah, it was fouled, but it, it was fouled exactly for the reasons Amanda said, where the audience looked at it with the wrong lens, and yeah. the publisher did a bad job setting that expectation. Mm -hmm. When somebody hands you a book, virtually nobody will hand you a book nowadays and be like, read this book, it's good. I mean, I do that to people because I think it's funny. Um, and then they come back to you and they're like, why did you recommend this? And you start like going through it and they're like, oh, okay, I get it now. Um, I get why you wanted me to read it anyway. You're a jerk. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that that's the problem, right? Where what I need from the publisher is them to go, the artist isn't dead and this is what we were trying to do and who we were trying to reach. And we're sorry if that wasn't who you were. Yeah. And none of that is clear from their Steam page. And I think what I was trying to say before is that since indie games are more widely promoted now than they have been in previous years, people are more likely to stumble upon them that aren't gung-ho on that niche and genre, which are going to lead to those reviews. Whereas before, when indie games weren't widely promoted or supported by the industry, people who really wanted those type of games were the only ones that found them. 
and invested time into them. And now you have the entire community looking at it. And like what Mazio so more elegantly said, uh, you're going to have the clashing of audiences where people are going to stumble upon this game, pay the money for it, expecting something different. Uh, and weren't feel like they were cheated or weren't warned in advance of what this game was going to be. Their expectations were inadequately set, is actually yes. how I would phrase Thank that. Thank you. I think if this game had had Annapurna Interactive in the publisher line, <laughs> the expectations would have been set. You're, you're right. Yes. Uh, if it, I'm not even joking. Uh, no, I'm you're not. Serious. Coming from a 90s guy, you're right. If it had Miramax in its prime promoting it, it would have been fine because that's the direct analog, right? Film to video game, like yeah. Annapurna in its prime, Miramax in the 90s, like, yup, one to one. Checks out. Yeah. When I when I watch that or when I watch like an A twenty four picture, like I I know what I'm getting myself into. This is gonna be weird, this is gonna be off putting, but I understand like what I'm diving into. I didn't turn on the lighthouse and see that A twenty four logo and be like, ah, oh, this is gonna be like Wally. It's not <laughs> Sorry. That was really good. <laughs> yeah. Uh Yeah. I, I know, I, I think that that's I'm kind of glad the discussion went this way because it's sort of what i was i was looking at it from a perspective of why would you dislike this this was totally it totally met my expectations and left me satisfied it must have been about the pricing maybe there's something here with the release timing but i think that you guys have sort of brought to light something that i totally missed which was setting expectations and communicating them through a medium like steam where that's just not possible like pale blue does not necessarily communicate what it needs to. Right. Yeah. And I, I also think too, that it's very reasonable that you missed it because you are the target audience for it. Oh, yes. I am. So the target audience for this game, <laughs> like, like unbelievably, they, it, it's just for me. I'm the only one. <laughs> no, I, I, they found me. Strange. They were like, yeah, I think if somebody Jake came to this. me and was like, what is one of the more artistic, like one what is a legitimate attempt at the sublime? for a video game, I think I could very easily say deliver us the moon and then go be aware you're playing a video game that's analogous to lit fic for my English friends, right? This is going to be, this is a, you're not, you're not playing this to have a great time necessarily. You're playing this because it is a serious attempt at the sublime. Yes. And, uh, I think uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I want to be very clear, too, in terms of the, the fouled and the defense of this game. We, we The world needs you needs people who do that. Like, we need Annapurna perhaps now more than ever. Right? Like, Oh, yeah. I think we should specify that none of us are saying that... <sighs> I feel like none of us are saying that this type of art form doesn't belong in games it just was i expected something different which is why i would have preferred it as a graphic novel because my expectations were set to be not this <laughs> what amanda's saying is that as an audience member she expects her graphic novels to be artsy and that's why yes. she doesn't read the general superhero random plot line graphic novels oh no i do not I read so, but, but for the general audience of Earth, what you've just said is shiny superheroes are are good oh, art yeah. to me, and this isn't a shiny yeah, yeah, superhero. Yeah. Yes, yeah, definitely uh, need to clarify that. Like I, I read Saga and I read Damned and Divine or whatever, Saga's Wicked and really, Divine, really good. Saga is so good, but something tragic happened in the latest one that I'm still not over. I'm, not, that I was I'm nowhere near about. caught up. Don't ruin that for me. Okay, no spoils. Um, but like that. Comic book, it's, it's not it's not a comic book, I guess. It's a graphic novel, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's not for people who like the superhero books. It approaches a lot of topics that I think need to be approached in an artful way. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's art, I think that story is. And also Wicked and Divine is broke it as well. Um, so maybe my, like, maybe my idea is right, is that if I wanted the this artsy feel i personally gravitate towards a different medium i don't go to the games as a medium for it which is why i view this more positively if i view it as a potential graphic novel than i do as a game 
I think this is a really good lesson in setting expectations for your art, your media, whatever it be. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm as you guys are talking about this, I'm just running through my head of ways they could have adjusted the expectations. If they didn't aim for photorealism in the general gameplay, you totally wouldn't think it was like a sci-fi thriller game. You would expect this to be art house. That's True. actually a very good point too. Is that the majority of narrative sims? Uh, identify themselves through non-photorealistic art styles. They're all stylized graphics, generally the inclusion of pink and purple. That's that's usually how it is. I mean, that's a way oversimplified look at it, but there is a color palette and there is an art style that tells me what I'm getting myself into. But I also think the choice to do photorealistic graphics and a physics engine that's really quite impressive. Uh, yeah for a game like this is is part of what's making their attempted art real yeah and i don't think that that's the right choice i don't think adjusting the art style is the thing that's gonna make the difference here i I don't even i struggle to say save the game because i don't think it's a failure i still hold on to the fact (laughs) i i still enjoyed it um i definitely understand why you guys didn't have that same experience actually i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in on this it isn't a failed game because the yeah. reviews rose as the player expectations were adjusted correctly adjusted yeah yeah games are a failure when those expectations are never met and never realized like the fact that the broader community jumped in on this and went oh no this isn't for me back to cod and then everybody else came in and was like actually this is quite good and here's why it, it's it's exactly what you saw happen uh, with Rocky Horror, with Fight Club, with all these like kind of cult movies where it's like, no, there's real artistic value in here. We just didn't do a good job marketing and releasing it at all. Yeah. And where I thought that that was pricing, I think that you guys have definitely showed me that and proven that it was expectations. And pricing was sort of a side effect. It's a symptom of, of a those... problem, not the root cause. I also think, though... If I relate it to the game Valley, which I brought up earlier, which has very positive reviews, where if I open up this nice little customer review graph, on launch there was 103 positive reviews and three negative reviews. And like it has always been positive for it. And even yeah. if I look at the description about this game, nothing in it tells me it's just going to be like a walking narrative. Which is kind of what it is, but how they handled, I guess, the small gameplay elements they decided to add felt more organic and satisfying to the wider gaming audience than the ones added in Deliver Us to the Moon. So, I almost feel like what Deliver Us to the Moon or Deliver Us to the Moon, I keep saying to the moon because they keep confusing to the moon with this game. It's very, very different, different game. games. Very, <laughs> very different game. Uh, no, but I think I think in a way it does. It does set that expectation even through the Steam page. I'm looking at them right now. Like the description for a Valley, for example, is explore the vast and beautiful world of Valley using the power of Leaf, yada, yada. But explore the vast and beautiful world is very different than Deliver Us the Moon is a sci-fi thriller set in a post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic near future. That, that is s- true. Very different expectations are set there. When I hear explore as the very first word of a description, I think walking sim. When I hear sci-fi thriller, in which is the next thing other than the title of the game, I'm feeling like it's going to be Mass you're Effect. Trapped, yeah, you're trapped on a spaceship with an alien trying to kill you. Like how, <laughs> from, the, from the Steam pages, it's very difficult to differentiate this game from any other AAA sci-fi thriller like Mass Effect. Yeah, there's choice-based stuff included, but at a glance, a layman might not necessarily be able to distinguish between those two, and that's an issue. That's a massive issue in marketing. Yeah, that's fair. So I think where we've landed then about this game is that we still think that it is a fouled game, that it didn't, yes. it doesn't deserve the pricing critique it got, but it got it due to... Uh, Failing to, I guess. <sighs> oh, I, there's a word that I'm missing. 
failing to select its audience well. Set expectations. Thank you. There, we yeah. talked about it so much. I'm so bad with her. Set its expectations to the appropriate audience or set its expectations well enough. Where, like, categorizing it as a sci-fi thriller is wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, there's nothing thriller it's about wrong. this. Like, <laughs> Other um, than massive moving set pieces. Yeah. And... I'm pretty that's sure the, I could make a rotating radar dish if I hired the right engineers right now. I mean, not me. I'm a humanities guy, but like somebody could do that. Yeah, I don't think it makes it a thriller either, but it definitely is a piece that is common between the two of those things, if nothing else. So it was fouled, and we don't think it deserves the fouling it got, but it was, in a way, its own fault for failing to set those expectations. Where people went in expecting a sci-fi thriller, and they well certainly did not get a sci-fi thriller. No, and I, I think that that's a very fair uh, sum up of the whole thing. Yeah, and I honestly, going forward with future fouled podcasts, I bet you that's going to be a pattern that we see because the market is smarter than all three of us combined times. Oh, the just billion you wait. People. I could do yeah. hours on wait Fallout seventy. What on Fallout seventy six's main failures being marketing to the wrong audience oh yeah oh yeah absolutely that's something that we'll have to actually actually i would love to do them as a fouled game fall 76 oh that's gotta be something that's on the docket that's okay all right that's next to the backlog that's yeah well now that we've mentioned it i feel like it has to be next hey internet we made a decision on the fly we hope we can deliver that (laughs) we hope so (laughs) i've i've played a good bit of 76 i wouldn't mind jumping back into it but I think that's something that we're probably going to see as a pattern going forward because the market and all these people that are looking at this game collectively have, and say what you will about collective intelligence, but I think in this case it's going to probably usually be right, but maybe just not for the right reasons. Like, the reviews on this game are correct, but they're expressing it in the wrong way. They're expressing it with the frustration of, I'm mad I spent my $25, this should have been 10 when... Really, this reached for an expectation and set an expectation that it shouldn't have. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's what correlated to people being like, why did I pay for this? Because their expectations weren't met, their needs weren't satisfied, and they felt lacking in the game. Yeah. 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 Wow. Cool. All right. Good job, guys. Yeah. Um, So I guess we don't know what we're going to do for the next fine feathered game yet. Uh, but Fouled, apparently we've agreed on to do 76. Uh, not sure when the next podcast will be up, because I don't know when this will be edited. Uh, but thanks again for listening uh, into the podcast, guys. Again, if you want to talk to us more about the game, or what we said here, or anything we mentioned here, uh, find us. You can find me on Twitter with at the white rose 014, uh, 014, and you just stop saying O, 014. Uh, you can find Jake at at Jake McKenna 1025, the highly creative name. And then you can find Mazio through his company that he runs at Fatal Games 5 on Twitter. Yeah, and feel free to talk to us because, again, we're all nerds here and we love talking about games. Uh, otherwise, we will see you, quote unquote, in the next podcast. Thanks for listening, ducklings, and remember, stay evil.